to also invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me once again to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, uh, beginning in verse 54 this morning. We have just two chapters in the Gospel of Luke um, after today, which I think is probably going to take us about three months to get through. So sometime in December, we should be wrapping up, Lord willing, our study in the Gospel of Luke. So sometime around the new year, we're going to uh, have a short series in the book of Ruth, um, probably starting in January. That'll take us roughly a couple of months, and then for most of next year, um, I hope to then take us to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians and uh, study 1 Corinthians together as Paul takes the gospel and applies it to all of the messiness that is church life in Corinth. And uh, so we will be uh, hopefully taking a look at that uh, next year together. But today, uh, Luke chapter 22, verses 54 through 71, uh, Jesus has been praying in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane until a crowd comes led by one of his own disciples, Judas Iscariot. Um, to betray Jesus, and this crowd arrests Jesus and takes him away. And that's where we pick up our reading today. So let's give our attention to the hearing of God's word. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light, and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council. And they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. Then they say, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. Well, the Gospels, they were not written as biographies. 
They are gospels, uh, announcements of good news. And a couple of statistics make that pretty clear to us right away. Uh, 25 to 50 percent of uh, the, the four gospels, anywhere between 25 to 50 percent of the four gospels that we have in our Bibles, focus upon the final week of the Lord Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. And anywhere between 10 to 40 percent is devoted to the final 24 hours of Jesus' life and ministry. Now, that is not how you would write a biography. But the authors of the Gospels understood that they were writing Gospels, pronouncements of good news. And they understood that at the heart, central, fundamental to the good news about Jesus is what took place in these final days in Jerusalem. In other words, they understood and they want readers to understand that the reason Jesus Christ came into the world is to save his people from their sins. But what's fascinating about the passage that we, we've just read is that Luke tells us not only what happened to Jesus, but he's also communicating to us why this is happening to Jesus. I, I think the key to understanding this passage is found in verse 67, where this question is presented to Jesus. If you're the Christ, tell us. And so this passage, it has everything to do with, with recognizing or refusing Jesus as the Christ. And in the Old Testament, you know, in various places, the Old Testament promised that a day would come when a, a, a greater prophet would step upon the scene. A prophet greater than Moses that the people should listen to. A day would come when a priest would appear to make a once-for-all sacrifice for the sins of his people. A king, a descendant of David, would be seated upon David's throne and rule over his people forever from one end of the earth to the other. And so it's striking, I think, that here the, the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish ruling council, is actually asking Jesus, although they really have no interest whatsoever in his answer, they're just looking for a way to condemn him, they nevertheless ask him the question, are you the Christ? If you are the Christ, tell us. And what Luke does is... He weaves into this passage examples of how Jesus is indeed the promised prophet, priest, and king. But strikingly, in each instance, he's rejected. He's rejected as king, he's rejected as prophet, and he's rejected as priest. So let's take a look at these three things this morning and begin, first of all, with the denial of Jesus as king. And the one doing the denying is none other than the apostle Peter himself. Now Peter, Peter loved the Lord Jesus. You remember how at the end of the gospel of John, Peter is almost pleading with Jesus, don't you understand? I love you, I love you. And a few hours before th these events, he, 
He had said to Jesus, you know, if everyone else abandons you and runs away, I will follow you, my Lord and my master, even if it means following you to prison or even unto death. And then Luke, although I think he is, of course, he's speaking geographically here. Surely there is a a double meaning in his words in verse 54, that when Jesus was arrested and taken to the high priest's house, Peter was following Jesus at a distance. That was true physically, but it had also begun to become true in Peter's heart. His physical distance from the Lord Jesus bespoke of his concern about his own safety and security. And he was to learn this night that when disciples stop following Jesus closely, that's actually when they are in the greatest danger. So as he is in the courtyard of uh, the high priest, imagine it, some. Somewhere perhaps within earshot. Certainly within eyesight. The Lord Jesus, as we read in verses 63 through 65, is being abused. He's being beaten. He's being blindfolded and punched and told to prophesy. And Peter is desperately frightened. And although he loves Jesus, which is why he's there in the first place, he ends up effectively denying that Jesus is his king. Actually, this story, I think, is a striking example of a really important principle for us to understand in the Christian life. That if in a new situation or with new people, a challenge comes into our lives, a challenge to our Christian faith, and we don't respond faithfully when that challenge is first brought before us, then isn't it true that the second challenge becomes doubly difficult and the third challenge becomes nearly impossible if we have not stood faithfully for the Lord Jesus Christ? And many of us, I think, know this principle because, frankly, we've, we've been there. We've been in these situations. Or college students surrounded by new people. We're starting a new job, surrounded by new coworkers. We've moved to a new place, surrounded by people we've, we've never known. You're in a group with, you're, or, or meeting somebody for the first time, and the challenge comes, and you effectively say, I don't know Jesus, and I'm not going to speak for him. And then you know what happens. The next time the challenge comes, it becomes... Twice as difficult to stand. And the third time the challenge comes, it feels almost impossible. And so Peter's story, well, it's my story. And it's your story. So what was Peter's mistake? It was a mistake that he had made at least once before in his life. Do you remember the occasion when Peter is in the boat and Jesus invites Peter out of the boat to stand and walk upon the water and in some extraordinary way as Peter kept his eyes fixed upon the Lord Jesus, he was able to do so. But as soon as Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and began to gaze down upon the fear of the circumstances, that's the moment he began to sink. 
He was beginning to do that again here. He turned his eyes away from Jesus to see how he could keep himself safe. And isn't, isn't that what happens? We, we take our eyes off Christ. And perhaps, perhaps you're doing exactly that. Dear friend, are you in, in your life, in your circumstances, taking your eyes off the Lord Jesus to see how you can keep yourself and your own situation in order? Maybe you're in a situation where it may be very costly to follow Jesus. But Peter learned on this night, I think, that it's even more costly to take your eyes off of Christ and stop following Jesus. And so the king, God's promised king, was on trial. And Peter is outside in the courtyard denying him. And it's, I think it's really important to realize that an hour passed by in the courtyard. Did you catch that when we, when we read it in verse, uh, verse 59, I think it is? That this, these denials transpired over an interval of time. One came, then a second came, then a third came. Surely you're one of them. And so we're meant to understand that while all of this was happening outside in the courtyard, something else was happening in the high priest's house. And that's described for you in verses 63 through 65. The men who were holding Jesus in custody were at the same time mocking him, beating him, blindfolding him, and saying to him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And so even as Peter is denying Jesus as king, these officers in the high priest's house are mocking him as prophet. He was one of, he was someone who, who spoke the truth of God. You know, one of the Old Testament words for prophet is, is the word seer. Seer because they were able to see into the mysteries of God. Able sometimes even to see into the future as God enabled them to see it. As God revealed it to them. And so you see what these officers, you see what they're up to. Saying, oh, people are, people are saying you're a prophet. Let's play a little game, shall we? Let's have a little sport. I'm going to have one of the officers here blindfold you and one of these men, they're going to strike you and I want you to prophesy and tell us who it is that struck you. And so they beat him. They play with him. They, they molest him. You know, friends, there, there might be times in our lives where we are tempted to think that Jesus can't possibly understand our situation, but... All you need to do is read the Gospels to understand that there is no situation that we find ourselves in in which the Lord Jesus cannot come to us and say, Dear one, I understand. But the striking thing here is, is, is this. We've, we've been told already that Jesus knows Peter is going to deny him. And so in a sense, Jesus is mentally prepared for that. But how do you prepare for this? This awful isolation as Jesus is beginning to drink the cup of desolation. And he's being blindfolded by these men. 
who are mocking and deriding him, beating him, having sport with the Lord Jesus. And these men, they don't, they don't see what they're doing. They don't see that their hearts are being exposed in the way that they treat the Lord Jesus. They are rejecting and mocking Jesus as God's final promised great prophet. But let's not remove this too far from us because there is a question that we ought to ask ourselves. Have we ever done this? Have we ever mocked the Lord Jesus? Have, have we ever inwardly mocked the words of the Lord Jesus as we've heard them? You know, the, the, tragic, the tragic irony of this passage, dear friends, is this. It's not Jesus who can't see in this text. It's the ones who are blindfolding the Lord Jesus who are really blind. They can't see who Jesus is. And we need to understand that as Christians, as the Lord Jesus is being mocked in the world, as his word is being derided, that it's they who are blind, not the Lord Jesus. And so even as Jesus has made himself known as God's promised king, that kingship is being denied by one of Jesus' own followers, Apostle Peter. And even as Jesus has made himself known as a great prophet, people throughout the land have been saying, we've never heard someone teach like him before. These officers in the high priest's house are mocking Jesus as prophet. But then thirdly, we find that he is delivered up as high priest. Now, how do, how do we see that here in this passage? Okay, st stick with me here, because I, I think we, we need to pay close attention to what Luke is doing. It's very, I think it's amazing how he's weaving this in here. As, as these two events go along side by side, and the officers in the high priest's house cease their abuse of Jesus as prophet, and as Peter outside uh, in the courtyard just completes his third denial of Jesus as his Lord and Master. It's at the end of these two things happening side by side, that, that moment that the eyes of Jesus look up and meet with the eyes of Peter out in the courtyard. You see in verse 61, the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord. Now Luke only tells you half of that word, but he's told you the whole word a little bit earlier. When Jesus said, uh, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. But Simon, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. So imagine that moment when Peter goes out and weeps bitterly in the cold Jerusalem night. With the prophecy of Jesus ringing in his ears that he would betray his Lord and Master, but also the promise of Jesus that he as a high priest would make intercession for him in order that Peter's faith would not fail. That he would be to Simon Peter what the high priest was for God's people. Wearing, you remember in the Old Testament, wearing on his breastplate the jewels on which were engraved the names of the tribes of Israel so that as the high priest entered into the presence of the Lord. He carried the names of Israel upon his own heart 
interceding for their needs. And so in this amazing way, it is as high priest that Jesus is hauled before the Sanhedrin council. But there's, there's more here. Because actually there are two, I think, interesting things woven into this story that I don't think the Sanhedrin even gave any thought to. And the one thing was this, that the only way a high priest could be condemned was for him to be tried and condemned by the entire council. That was happening here. That's what's happening to Jesus. And then there was another tradition that had developed that before the Day of Atonement, the priests would actually keep the high priest up all night. And it's almost as though those traditions which had developed in the practices of Judaism were, were all coming true before their eyes. The council was doing the very things it would do with a high priest. But you see, now they were turning the great high priest into a sacrificial lamb upon the altar of Calvary. And you see, in this amazing way, despised and rejected by men, it's as though Luke is saying to us, do you not see? Do you not see that Jesus is exactly the Christ that you need? That he is exactly the Christ of whom the scriptures speak. A king rejected. A prophet mocked. And a priest who becomes a sacrifice. Well, there are so many ways we could apply this passage to our own lives. But let's just mention one. Because it, it really hit home to me this morning as Paul was praying during the prayer of invocation. Think about the Apostle Peter and recognize that Jesus came into the world to save failures. Failures like Peter, failures like me, failures like you. People who would deny and at times even mock the Lord Jesus. And you know, as you think about the rest of Peter's life, surely in the time in which he was living, wherever he found himself, even within uh, a great metropolis, Peter would have awoken each morning to the audible reminder that he had betrayed his Lord, denied him, rejected him as king, but at the same time been reminded of the incredible promise of the Lord Jesus. But Peter, I've prayed for you in order that your faith would not fail. And as a result, there was opportunity for future fruitfulness and ministry and service in the life of Peter. You see, it's what amazed the Apostle Paul. You know, as he talks about in Romans 8, who, who's going to bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who's going to condemn us? It's Jesus Christ who has died and been raised and is at the right hand of God to make intercession for us. My friends, is that a word? Is that a word for you today? In the midst of the struggles of your Christian life, perhaps weighed down by by sin and weakness that haunts you day after day after day 
that Jesus Christ lives to make intercession for you in order that your faith may not fail. I hope that's a word for you, struggling brother or struggling sister. That, that the Christ who has come to reign over us is the Christ who laid down his life for us and is the same Christ who lives to make intercession for us. But we do, don't we? we? We take our eyes off of the Lord Jesus. And this passage is calling us, dear friends, to keep our eyes fixed upon Christ because as our eyes are fixed upon him, we are safe. And so, brothers and sisters, let's, by God's grace, keep our eyes fixed upon Christ, our King, our Prophet, our Priest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, for Christ's life for us, his, his death for us, his ongoing ministry for us at your right hand. And we pray that you would enable us to keep our eyes fixed upon him today and the rest of the days of our lives in order that we might follow him as our king. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.